0: You tonight. glad you came out in the midst of everything, the rain and all of that good stuff that's happening. I'm not a skier, but I do like snow because I like farmers and uh, food. Uh, so we're thankful that we're getting some snowpack too out of this storm. You know the old saying about the weather, it always gives you something to talk about. Um, and it's really true, is it? It's always just changing and, and all. All right, Jonah tonight. Uh, Jonah... Uh, chapter 2 as we head through the Bible on Sunday nights and we pick up our second study here in the book of Jonah. Remember that God had called Jonah to deliver a message of his judgment uh, to the capital of the Assyrian Empire at the time, a a city by the name of Nineveh. And uh, the Assyrians at that time were very, very brutal people, very cruel people, uh, very evil and very violent. And these, as we'll see a little bit later here in the book of Jonah, are not uh, my words, they're the words of uh, the very king uh, of Nineveh and of Assyria. So uh, they were a pariah, they were an absolute cancer on humanity. At that time, everybody feared them, and all anybody could hope for is that they would be destroyed, not that they would be saved because of how cruel they were to their enemies and Uh, and their intent upon kind of world domination in that part of the world. Well, when Jonah hears the Lord uh, speak to him about going to Nineveh in order to deliver this message of judgment, you would have thought that he would have made a beeline to Nineveh and delivered the message. You're all doomed, you know. But he knows something about God, and he has this suspicion that if he goes to Nineveh and he delivers the message and they repent, that God will relent of the judgment that he's going to bring upon them. And so Jonah resigns from the prophetic ministry. I mean, what an amazing thing for a prophet to do. He resigns, he goes to Joppa, he finds a boat going clear to the other end of kind of the known world at that time, Tarshish, as far away as he could get on a boat that would take him away from Nineveh, and he quits the ministry. He quits the prophetic uh, calling, and ends up on this boat, and if you think you can escape God on the ocean any more than you can escape Him on the land, you're kidding yourself. And In fact, I'd rather try to escape Him on solid ground uh, rather than on an ocean but that's what he endeavors to do the mediterranean sea and uh and and god meets him there the storm and uh and the sailors what are we going to do what's the storm all about it's me i'm running away from god and it's called upon my life all that you can do here is throw me overboard and so they throw him overboard and that brings us here to verse 17 of chapter one now the lord had prepared a great fish to swallow jonah and jonah was in the belly uh, of the fish three days and three nights and so the lord uh, prompt, uh, prepared this fish and he didn't prepare the fish uh, to eat jonah uh, that's not what this was all about uh, but uh, for transport in order to keep him from drowning uh, he's going to end up in nineveh and he's going to deliver that that message and so uh, he, he, he thought things couldn't get any worse for him than, than they were in the storm, and they did uh, get uh, much worse for him. Now, we, so often we hear about Jonah and the whale, but we don't know that the great fish was a whale at all. Uh, we don't even know that this great fish, we can liken it to anything that we know about today, because it wasn't just a great fish, as you see here, but a great fish that the Lord had prepared. And uh, so it's supernatural. It's miraculous what the Lord is doing here. Sometimes people read <clears throat> the book of Jonah and uh, it's so supernatural to them, they say, I can't swallow it. Okay. I'm ashamed of myself, but I worked all afternoon on that. It goes downhill from here. But but as the old saying goes, is that anyone that... Um, can believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and all of the heaven and the earth testifies to the fact that there is a creator and designer behind all of it, then to believe that God could create a fish, to uh, to chasten uh, one of His servants is really no big thing. I always think about it in terms of if God can take and um, form a baby uh, in his or her mother's womb for nine months and then come out into a uh, uh, new life in terms of life on the other side uh, of the birth then this is an effortless thing for for him uh, to do and so this is a special fish it's a prepared fish that swallows uh, Jonah uh, up uh, here now in terms of the thing that people sometimes even liberal sections of christianity they uh they want to you know allegorize this whole thing and that the the, the fish is a picture of something and jonah is a picture of something else other than a literal hand, handling of the passage and accepting the supernatural of it. One of the great obstacles to landing on that as a view and then holding that indefinitely as a view is the witness of Jesus himself to the historicity of uh, this event in terms of uh, Jonah and in terms of the great fish. You might remember that. Uh, Jesus, when He uh, was asked by the Jewish religious leaders for a sign from Him in order to testify to the fact that He was the Messiah, and uh, He answered and He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights, he talks about it as a literal event. There's no reason to uh, doubt it at all. I know that you don't, but uh, anything uh, that Jesus speaks about into anything uh, in the New Testament related to the Old Testament, we want to, we want to look to it. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, uh, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so he speaks about the literalness of this miracle in the context of the three greatest events in human history, uh, uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. Now, the the marvel, and to me, probably the greatest miracle, uh, of, of the entire passage is not that God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah in order to protect him and to bring him to a place of surrender to God's plan for his life, but that it took three days and three nights for Jonah to surrender to that, in, uh, 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 to, to God's will. Now, that's a very, very stubborn human being. When I, when I was much, much younger and the girls were little, we would go to Disneyland. And um, one of the things we would do is get on those teacups. And we'd get that thing spinning as much, as fast as we could until you're just dangerously ill uh, with nausea on it. And it saved us a lot of money because they weren't hungry for lunch or dinner after <laughs> that. And we always planned it right in there. I'm only kidding. But, I mean, it really just made you que- queasy. Imagine being uh, uh, bad enough to be on a boat on the surface of the water, but to be in a great fish that's going high and low and everything else that's involved in that. And uh, I don't know what uh, you think about it a little bit. What would be, how long would it take for you to say uncle? Like about Five minutes. Uh, uh, for me I mean even if even if you're really strong and stubborn and say okay God I can outweigh you uh, which you know the old saying is the dice of the gods are loaded you can't fight God and win Uh, so the only rational thing to do the only pragmatic thing to do is to look and say uh, God is so much greater than me he can do this indefinitely uh, it, 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 he can he can do this for months if he wants to with me and you just look and you say i give up you win i see where this goes and i have no chance of winning he doesn't do that he stays in there for three days and three nights imagine a whole day in there i don't know if you've ever been seasick before it's not a pleasant experience I took one of those ferries across to Catalina Island down in Southern California. I never hated an island so much as by the time I got to it. Uh, nothing could be worth doing that. And now, of course, you take the Dramamine and all, but it's an awful, awful feeling. You just can't enjoy anything uh, uh, and get your mind, set your mind anywhere else than the nausea of it and uh, and here he is he manages to uh last for three days and for three nights i mean if you were just to start in our own lives and stop and say okay start right here i'm just going to pretend that i went into the belly of that great fish like jonah did and i'm going to set an alarm on my uh, iphone uh, for three days and three nights from here and have it go off and then just imagine being in that place not in bed not sitting on a couch at home but in in that great fish and that's how long uh that uh that that it it, it took him and the interesting thing about this is he knows the entire time he knows that god is behind us we're going to see in verse three he he doesn't just view himself in a difficult circumstance he knows he is fighting God in this. And it takes him that long to realize, I have no hope of, 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 of winning uh, in this battle against God. And, uh, and so, three days, three nights, and then, and that word is very significant to start chapter 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord Uh, his God from the belly, uh, uh, from the fish's belly. So you can pray to God anywhere and in any circumstance. He hears the prayer. And then here's his prayer. Here's what he said. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. So this was a very unpleasant experience uh, for him. And it was affliction. Uh, God has a way that when we backslide, and he's in a backslidden state, When we backslide, uh, he'll come with that still small voice and he'll try and speak to us. He'll, He'll keep the damage as small as possible and all. But if we disregard him, as Jonah is doing here, He knows how to ratchet it up and ratchet it up until uh, life becomes so unpleasant in in the backslidden state that now I'm willing to turn back to God. And so I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and then the marvel is that He answered me. He's just waiting for that prayer. And then He cried out uh, in His prayer, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, the belly of Sheol, Sheol speaks of Hades, it speaks of the waiting place, it, it speaks of hell. And so, um, he may speak of the, the belly of that great fish, as, as the... the uh, uh, speaks of it here as the belly of, of Sheol, uh, because he thought he was going to die in those circumstances. Um, it, it's also possible that if the fish was a mammal, uh, which in all, in all likelihood it was that it was fairly humid uh, inside of that animal for three days and three nights with all of the water sometimes your people will say it's hot as hell in here and uh, and they're not swearing and i'm not swearing presently but uh, there's a the recognition i'm thankful for anyone that makes any bible reference at all today <laughs> so when they, when they acknowledge that they even understand that hell is a hot place, I'm encouraged by that. And so, and, and so it could be very well, his poetic way of saying, uh, it was very, very hot and, and humid, what I would uh, think hell would be like this whole time I'm running away from you, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and so this fish is moving all over the place and your floods uh, surrounded me all of your billows and your waves passed over me so this fish in, in uh, if a, if a whale is any kind of a a guide to it of course they open up their mouth and they just take in any kind of fish and any kind of seaweed and plankton and anything they can get into uh, its mouth. And, and uh, so here is this three days, three nights of this water coming in, all kinds of uh, junk coming in, the waves passing over him. And then in the midst of this, he said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now something happens to the backslider. And Jonah's a backslider here. He remembers in his backslidden state, and, and this is about as low as you can get in, in a backslide in, in, in many respects. Uh, there's a lot of low spots, but to be in the belly of a fish in the middle of the ocean, uh, in these circumstances, that's about as bad as it gets. And he starts to think about his godly heritage, he starts to think about his time at the temple. He starts to think about the days that his parents took him to children's church and uh, and Sabbath school or whatever it would have been for him. And he begins to remember how good life was, comparatively speaking, to when he was obedient to the Lord. And that's why it's important to plant these things in our children's lives so they have this as a reference point, a memory within their lives uh, that God will keep alive should they ever uh, try to run away from Him later in life. And so he said, uh, I, I, he's longing now to look again to the Lord, draw close to Him again, worship Him. And the waters they surrounded me, even to my soul, this wasn't just a physical impact it had upon Him, uh, but uh, uh, emotionally and spiritually, the deep closed around me, weeds, seaweeds were wrapped around uh, my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains that fish went way deep down into the Mediterranean Sea, and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He knew about uh, the God of the Bible concerning our God, that no matter how low He went in life, no matter how deep the pit He went into, he could always cry out to God, and that God would receive him that 's a tremendous confidence. Uh, not everybody has that kind of a confidence concerning their God in life, but this is the true and the living God and and uh, and he recognized that God had kept him alive in the midst of this, and that uh, uh, that the Lord uh, would hear his prayer and be there for him when he chose to repent and when my soul fainted within me i remembered the lord and uh, my prayer went up to you into your uh, holy temple and then he gives kind of a, the uh, remembering uh, the goodness of God in verse 8 one of the famous verses uh, of of the passage uh, of, of the book of uh, of Jonah uh, and his encapsulation of his experience here he said those who regard worthless idols forsake uh, their own Uh, mercy and so he he describes it uh, in that way in the new living translation i like verse 8 those who worship false gods turn their backs on all god's mercies and the the translation of that is to abandon god for anything else not just the idols of the world but for our own self-will uh, our own goals, our own desires in violation of, of His uh, his goals and desires for our life. That uh, it, 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 uh, it, it is to forsake a God who can help us in times uh, of trouble. And He said, when I forsook you, I forsook mercy. Because He recognized only the God of the Bible is merciful to their chil- His children in this kind of a, of a circumstance. When I left God, i left mercy and that's always the truth of it now i'm in a, now i'm i'm in, going to receive his chastening but there there is no better life no matter what god calls us to do what message he gives us to give there is no more mercy laden life that a person can live than the one that god has planned for us to leave him is to always leave mercy Anybody in the room that has ever backslidden and backslidden in, let's say, more than a backsliding of heart in a significant way. You go back to the world, go back to the old ways, back to whatever, and one of the things that a person recognizes immediately is nobody shows you mercy in this environment. This is dog-eat-dog. Dog. This, is, this is exactly how I remember it. This is nothing like how, uh, what it is to walk with God. This is a, this is a jungle. This is a, a, a tough uh, uh, survival of the fittest kind, kind of environment. And it's good to, re- to be reminded that no matter how hard God's will is for our lives, that to uh, leave that will is to always uh, leave uh, mercy. And that light went on for Him. And then He says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And when he talks about salvation here, he's not talking about spiritual salvation. He's talking about physical salvation. God protecting him and saving him physically from what ought to have been a a, a sure death death otherwise. And so he praises the Lord for his physical salvation in his life. And in verse 9, what he does is he recommits himself to... God's call upon his life. So he quit his prophetic office and calling, and then now God has a way of bringing him to this place where uh, now he's willing to do it. No matter what message he's called to carry, no matter what the hardship of it might be, he is now willing to do this. And so he he comes back. It's kind of a funny thing um, when, I think this is probably true of most pastors, you know, we begin in the pastorate and we're so excited to change the world and and all of that's good and we're so excited about this calling and and all of these things you know and we've hardly hit any troubles yet in 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 all of it and uh um and then we head into the calling and god he, oh, he's so wonderful he pours grace out not only upon the pastor but upon the congregation you know uh, that has to put up with me or put up with this guy and, uh, and and he and he pours out so much grace but then the bumps start to come and they become really hard and then we can begin to think as a pastor that um when it gets hard i can just quit this this calling and uh, and then we discover that what we thought was just going to be the greatest thing in the whole wide world, and that we could just check out any time we wanted to, uh, that God doesn't operate that way. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. And He doesn't take a resignation. And then, you, and, and then it dawns on you, oh, when I signed up for this, there's no escape clause here. I've got to stay in, in this thing. And, uh, and Jonah finds that out um, uh, him, himself here. And so the Lord spoke to the fish and uh, and the fish vomited uh, Jonah onto the dry land. And so the fish is more obedient than Jonah was, immediately did that and probably vomited him on, and vomit's such a strong word here, but it is the word um, that is there and just kind of vomits him up on, on the shore. And probably somewhere, uh, right where uh, Joppa, right where Jonah uh, fled the the call of God and the purposes of God for his life, somewhere on that uh, Mediterranean seashore of the land of Israel, and then boop, he's flopped right out on the ground. And uh, sometimes you'll hear. Uh, preachers talk about how Jonah then, you know, he was vomited out of the mouth of the great fish and then he walked into uh, Nineveh with his skin all bleached white and all of the seaweed all around him and everything. Uh, Probably didn't happen uh, because Nineveh was 550 miles inland. Unless this fish had a set of lungs on it (laughs) that we can't even imagine... And uh, Jonah became a a projectile uh, right there. Now, he probably got cleaned up and got his skin color back and all in making that uh, uh, 550-mile journey to then begin his ministry. The beautiful thing is is that God does bring him back to the place that he resigned. And uh, he is the God of second chances. And he said, all right, Now let's go right back to where you made your mistake there and let's try this again and see what you do. And it's wonderful how he does that. And he gives us a second chance to now uh, handle it right. Now, Jonah, he goes so far down in in this running away from God. And, uh, you know, sometimes we can think if we've been backslidden, And we think, oh boy, this is just a terrible backslide. And I went so down, 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 and all of these ways that I went down, down onto the ship, down into the belly of the ship, down into the ocean, down into the belly of the great fish, and it's going to take me forever to get back to where I once was with God and my relationship with God. Will He ever take me back and these kind of things? And then when we repent of our sin, when we confess our sin to Him, all that time that we thought uh, was a waste and we're going to have to start from scratch, God so often just puts us right back in that place and says, all right, now let's try this again and let's move forward. And, and the funny thing about that is that His grace doesn't produce a sloppiness in our lives Concerning his grace. We don't look and go, wow, okay, he's pretty easy on you when you backslide and you come back, and he just takes you back like that. It's uh, uh, wonderful, gives you a bunt cake and everything. Uh, uh, no, when he's so gracious to us in, in this way, it makes us love him even more. And, uh, and desire not to hurt his heart in any way or to be a trouble to him in, in any way. It makes us want to obey him uh, even more. And so here he is given this uh, second chance and I would want anybody within the hearing of my voice to be very confident that no matter how far we've run from God's will for our lives, how far we've gone in a uh, backslide, he will take us back and be and start working with us again from the point in which we uh, we back uh, backslid from him it's one of the great uh, encouragements of the book now uh, the word of the lord came to jonah the second time so here's the second chances and god spoke to him and said it's a very simple message again just like out of chapter one arise Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So, uh, here in uh, contradistinction to the the previous time, uh, Jonah uh, arose, he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And it was really quite a, a city. Um, Nineveh was a, a city that is much like Los Angeles or you know, even kind of Modesto, where you've got Ceres merges into Modesto and Salida merges into Modesto and, and so forth. And uh, Southern California, they all these cities run into one another. And it was kind of like that six cities that had kind of grown together to become Nineveh. And, uh, and it had a, a wall built around it. The, the perimeter of the city was 60 miles long. Imagine that. They put a 10-foot wall uh, or a 100-foot wall up around the, the, the city, and, uh, and it was 30 feet wide, wide enough to, to do chariot races on the top, and it, and it encircled that entire part of the city. And it would take three days to... To walk 20 miles a day and, and encircle uh, cover the entire city if you did it that way uh, with with a message and so this is the size of, of the city that he's walking into jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk and then he cried out and he said 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown um, I think it's in the old King James is a little bit better than this. I think it's something like uh, 40 days and then comes destruction. That's the force of the message. Uh, this is softer in the new King James. Uh, 40, yet 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown. The word overthrown there means destruction. It's the same word that is used for the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's saying in 40 days, you're all dead. God's going to wipe you, uh, uh, wipe you out. And he, and he carries that message And the people listened to it. The people of Nineveh, they believed God. They believed the message that Jonah was speaking. And they proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. So this is fascinating. Very, very wicked culture. Very, very wicked people. But they hear the message that they're they're deserving of, of the judgment of God, and even a God that they did not acknowledge at that moment in time. So, as bad as they were, they hadn't silenced their conscience yet. They hadn't seared that conscience. And no matter what their false gods, and their false gods were gods um, that, uh, that kind of um, uh, uh, prompted and encouraged violence and encouraged uh, the, the wickedness of their life, and, and uh, no matter what kind of peace or justification their false gods gave to them for the wicked life they were living, when they heard the truth, they knew it was true about them. They knew, I don't care what our gods are saying to us, there's something wrong with us. We know uh, we are, uh, deserve, if there is a God who is real, we deserve His judgment. And they recognized it. And this revival that occurs in, in uh, among uh the Assyrians there in Nineveh interestingly is it starts from the bottom and it goes up it starts there uh, with the people in verse 5 then it moves to the king in verse 6 if it was a revival that began with the king and then moved to the people you would maybe think well yeah well the king's doing it he's repenting and now you've got a false revival among the people because nobody wants to tick off the king but that's not what happened this is something that's genuine this is something that's true i think about um you you, you see here in the last i don't know how many years uh, in terms of of movies and entertainment and how much uh, dystopian uh a theme there is end of the world everything gets destroyed everything's in a ruin and then some group of people survives it and lives on the other side of it and then the story and there's so much of this stuff uh, and, um, and, and obviously, it gets made because it sells people flock to this kind of thing. And I wonder if even in our secular culture that rejects God, there is this sense way down deep that uh, we are deserving of judgment. There's something wrong. We are going in the wrong direction, and this is where we are uh, headed. But and and a way to express that, and because it resonates with so many uh, people. And so here is this uh, great revival that occurs. They take on all of the marks of repentance here, uh, believing God, the God that Jonah was, uh, was preaching, and, uh, and believing His message, the fast, the sackcloth, and from the greatest to the least. And then the word uh, came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes incredible act of repentance here it isn't unlikely it 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 it's very very probable that jonah didn't uh, preach this message for three full days making his way all the way through the city he probably began to preach it and preached it for a single day and it spread like wildfire that's kind of the language it's giving here it just spread all the way through the people faster than he could even uh, make his way through the city, and then the message come to the king. Now you think about being a king in the ancient world. I mean, kings can be pretty proud, uh, arrogant, entitled people, and they certainly were in the ancient world. And the king of Assyria was certainly that. But he hears the message, and imagine a king like this taking, coming off of his throne publicly demonstrating that kind of a of a humility before the nation showing that kind of a weakness and submission before the nation taking off his robe and then putting on sackcloth what's happening here is a very real deal from uh, the top to the bottom of of society and he doesn't just do this but then He caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink water. This is how serious they took it. Nobody takes a drink of water until we find out uh, what the God that has delivered this message to us, uh, if there's any hope for us in this situation. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence out of his own mouth uh, that is in his hands. And then he says there uh, in in verse 9, very, very powerful, uh, and he says, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not Uh, perish and so this is the the mindset that uh, that they are in and here you have uh, both faith and works because Lotus in verse 10 when God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and uh, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do so now the Uh, The hope that the king had concerning uh, the city of Nineveh, he called for the people to do all of these things, fasting, no water, sackcloth, cry out to God, and he called on the people to do these things all in what was in his mind the absolute minuscule hope that uh, that God might turn away His righteous judgment, and they might not perish, but live. He repents. The city repents. They have no promise from God if they would uh, repent. Uh, they have only the message of a coming destruction upon them. And yet they repented. And for all of their uh, uh, their wickedness and their idolatry, uh, their heart was soft enough uh, to do that and uh, we never know what a person will do no matter where they've been in life whatever kind of a place they've been in life we never know until we speak to somebody about uh, the judgment that our sin deserves and and that god in his righteousness because of his holiness he must judge sin and then see how that will impact a person and how they might might respond to that message now Jesus himself again and he witnesses and testifies to the truthfulness of uh, 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 and uh, of of the book of of Jonah of course but he used it as an example in teaching his the Jewish religious leaders uh, of his day and he affirmed the genuineness of of Nineveh's uh, repentance, and he cited it when he rebuked uh, those Jewish religious leaders. Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, the men of Nineveh will will rise in judgment uh, with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and Indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Nineveh, Jesus is saying, repented of their sin based solely on a message of judgment. They had no hope or uh, or a promise associated with their repentance. There was no hope that if you do good, then God will turn back from uh, this judgment. They repented on the basis of who knows. As opposed to, the sure promises of the gospel that Jesus was bringing into the world and the Jewish religious leaders as well they refused to repent of their sin their self-righteousness their misrepresentation of God when Jesus not only offered uh, was making an offer in the gospel to the whole world to escape judgment but of the blessings that would come into our lives as a result of of that Uh, repentance and so he's he's speaking I mean you think about he's speaking to the Jewish religious leaders these are the religious experts in their own mind and only in their own mind not in anybody else's mind and he is saying uh, you will uh, Nineveh and the people of Nineveh these pagans in Nineveh these bloodthirsty people in Nineveh they repented at a lesser message spoken by jonah and you won't repent in association with a gospel that has so many promises associated with it they repented at an inferior message you won't repent on the basis of an infinitely superior message and they repented when that message was brought to them by jonah And you won't repent of your sin when the message is being brought to you by the very Son of God. It was a tremendous condemnation of their pride and their arrogance and their unwillingness to repent and believe God's message concerning the salvation that is found uh, in in Jesus uh, Christ. Here comes Jonah. Jonah wants them all destroyed. He didn't have any love at all for, for the uh, people of, of Nineveh. Jesus comes into the world to, to make these promises, and He has a heart for the whole uh, world. The message was superior in Jesus. The messenger superior. Uh, Nineveh in that day would, uh, would, will rise up and judge any rejection uh, of Jesus by the Jewish religious leaders and those that followed Him. Uh, in the time of his incarnation. And so God, his response with their repentance, he relented of the judgment uh, that that his righteousness would have required him to pour out uh, upon them. And nobody was happier to do that than God. Uh, The Bible declares that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. If God had his will concerning every single human life, every single human life would end up in heaven. The only reason anybody ends up in an eternal judgment is because the person was unwilling to submit to the will of God for their life, and that is their salvation. And so God is delighted at this repentance. The Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It, 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 repentance is what uh what he always uh wants and what he wanted old testament and new testament and so here is uh, nineveh uh, spared the disaster we do know historically that this revival that occurred here was short-lived it appeared to be uh, not much more than a generation among the Assyrians, and then uh, the nation returned to its old ways. But no generation can speak for the generation that will follow it and what it will do with a revival that God gives to it. We can only deal with what uh, God gives to us in our moment in, in human, uh, uh, human history. Well, everybody's happy. Uh, here is Nineveh happy. God is happy that He doesn't have to judge them. Happy at the the, the repentance and uh, and everybody is happy except Jonah. But Jonah, and the word bud is just to put him in contrast to uh, the population and the heart of God here, but uh, it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became very angry that God... Uh, took his, his, uh, the judgment that he had planned and the repentance of, of the people, that, that that judgment was lifted off of Nineveh. And he is really, uh, really upset uh, 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 about this. Now this is just uh, wild for how um, far uh, Jonah's heart is from the heart of God. And uh, not only far from the heart of God, but far from uh, the heart of, uh, of so many of God's people throughout the ages. He gets to see a revival in probably the most wicked city in the world at that time. He has been used by God to produce that revival there. And all that can happen to him is he's upset that it means that now God won't destroy these people. And it it may be that Jonah, in his own kind of uh, uh, self-preservation, he doesn't want to go down in history among the Jewish people, as the Jewish prophet that brought revival to the Assyrian people, the people that God had already prophesied, would one day bring judgment upon the northern kingdom of Israel. We don't know, but all of those things were in play at the time, and and he could have known that. But you stop and think about how many missionaries, how many uh, ministers, how many individual Christians have prayed uh, in the history of the church, prayed their entire lifetimes for something like this to happen, and it never happened in their lifetime. Because revival is something that God gives. It's just A mysterious thing that he does people are always getting saved all of the time this is a special work and 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 people dream about being a part of something like this seeing something like this happen in the middle of a wicked world how excited would you be if god chose you to go for instance to san francisco And then preach the message that 40 days, the whole scene gets played out. Instead of Nineveh, it's the city of San Francisco. And the entire city repents. From the mayor to the city council, right down to every district of San Francisco. I mean, we would be elated at a work of God so powerful as to produce that kind of... Uh, fear and that kind of change within that city and so you see what jonah is sniffing at here you see what he uh, the the uh, how emotional he's being in in terms of how uh, being upset in any way that God has done this uh, in, incredible thing uh, in, in his grace. He is very angry. He's so angry that he prayed to the Lord and he said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? And therefore I fled to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm now that's his complaint he's not praising god he's upset with god for being like this i knew that if i went to nineveh i knew from the very beginning that if these people that deserve to die every single one of them if they would repent that you would be gracious and you would be merciful and you would be slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and you would lift that judgment off of them. That's what I was running from. That you would show them uh, this kind of, of mercy. I knew you would do this and I didn't want to give you the opportunity uh, to, uh, to do it. And he's so upset now he says, therefore now, uh, O Lord, uh, please take my life from me. If you're not going to kill them, then kill me. This is, where, this is where he is. I mean, this is really amazing. And, and, and so, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die uh, than to live. I'd rather die uh, than live uh, knowing that you have shown this kind of grace and mercy to people as wicked as uh, the, the Assyrians there in, uh, in uh, Nineveh. And, uh, and then the Lord tries to reason with him, and it's beautiful. And then the Lord said to him, is it right for you to be Uh, angry? And he just poses a simple question. And and it was a simple question. Is the fact that I am gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving mercy, and relents from doing uh, 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 doing harm, is that a good reason to be angry with me? Now, it's a rhetorical question, because the answer is obviously uh, 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 No. And, and Jonah has no answer for it, and he's not, he's not going to answer him. He's not interested in having a conversation with God at, at this particular point and how upset he is. It is also very possible and, and it, 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 that, that it reads in what the Lord is saying to him. Then the Lord said to him, is it right for you to be angry? Remember that fish thing? Remember when I saved you out of that whole fish deal? And and why did I save you out of that fish deal? Because I am a gracious and merciful God who is slow to anger and abundant in loving mercy, one who relents from doing harm. And you are upset that I am showing the same grace and mercy to another group of people that I have already shown to you and it's one of the many many wickednesses of our human hearts fallen as they are and that is to always underestimate the grace that God has shown us in comparison to the grace that he shows other people and so often we think he's too gracious, he's being more gracious than he needs to be. Especially if you're like Jonah, where there's right, there's wrong, and uh, he's a principled person, and he, and he walks in this kind of clarity. It can be very hard for that kind of person to see God show mercy to people and spare them when they have spent uh, all of these years building up a judgment uh, that they deserve. And, and someone who is like that, built like that with Jonah, that's a difficult thing for them to deal with. And he's obviously having difficulty dealing with it. But always this perversity where there is that tendency for me to forget how much grace God has shown me. And he has shown each and every one of us because we only recognize how much grace he's showing to someone else. And as the old saying goes, but for the grace of God, there go I. There's nothing that we're not capable of in the wrong circumstances if we didn't have the privileges that uh, Jonah has. And that is, you know, being born again and, or being raised in the scriptures in a godly family or whatever, uh, whatever it might be. And so all he can see is is God's being too gracious to everyone else, but He's never too gracious when He deals with me. And that's something to stay uh, alert to in our lives. Uh, When we began the book last time, um, we are talking about how, um, uh, how contemporary this book is, because in terms of its message, because the world that we live in is becoming progressively more and more wicked and uh, more and more outwardly just blatantly uh uh, uh w- w- wicked and rebellious uh, against god and so there's a great temptation uh, to become like jonah and to become a prophet like jonah where uh, where we see the um it, it becomes it becomes a we begin to view it as them versus us. Uh, there's us, who God doesn't need to show any grace to, and them who deserve judgment. As if, it is a funny thing that once we become saved and God starts to clean up our lives just a little bit, in fact, quite a lot, uh, that then we begin to think that God ought to tighten up the standard a little bit for letting people into this kingdom and who He's willing to talk to and who He's willing to be gracious to, who He's willing to forgive and who He's willing to save. And this is, this is where Jonah is. Every child of God has ample reason to be thankful, uh, so thankful for the grace of God in our own lives that we would never want to deny uh, uh, the, the expression, full expression of God's grace in anyone else's life in this world, no matter what they have done or been or uh, they are. I, mean, I think that we, it's important to remain, uh, again, self-aware enough that what we are capable of is what the Assyrians were and more. Any one of us. If if God hadn't directed our lives in a different way, then the Assyrians had been up to that point. But God then, knowing the Assyrians, didn't have that kind of a work steps in at this particular point in order to bring them salvation. And so he's all upset here uh, over, uh, and he has no right to be angry over God showing grace to anyone in the light of how much grace God has shown, uh, shown him. And so Jonah doesn't respond to the rhetorical question. Uh, he knows he can't win that argument. And so Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east side of the city and he made himself a shelter and he sat in, uh, under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. So has he dug in or what? So uh, the days are passing by apparently here. 40 days, and then comes destruction. So about day 38, uh, he builds a little shelter uh, 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 up somewhere where he can look over the entire city of Nineveh in the hopes that God will come to his senses and on the 40th day, wipe them out anyway. This is where his heart is uh, on, on uh Uh, this maybe god will relent again and, and wipe him out and the lord god prepared a plant and he made it come up over jonah some kind of a gourd of these big leafy kind of uh plants that provided him shade in that very very hot part of the world and to deliver him from uh shade for his head to deliver him from the misery of that heat and so jonah was very grateful for the plant very grateful for the grace But as morning dawned the next day, the Lord prepared a worm and it damaged the plant so that it withered. Now any of you that are gardeners, you know that these kind of plants that grow out of gourds, they're very temperamental. And it doesn't take much to cause them to wilt and to die and to be gone Just overnight is what happens right here. And it happened when the sun arose. Then that God prepared a vehement east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head, so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself and said, "It is better for me uh, to die than to live." And then God uh, said uh, to Jonah, "Is it right for you to be angry about the plant?" And Jonah, he he said, "It is right for me to be angry." even uh, unto uh, death. And, uh, and he's so uh, angry here uh, uh, about the death of the plant. He has no concern over the death of what is probably a population of 600,000 people within the city. Uh, this is this loss of proportion that can occur within our life. And he becomes furious over the death of that plant and, and uh because why because the death of the six does doesn't affect him the death of the plant did terminally selfish as we are and, and judging things on the basis uh, of that and and so do you he says it is right for me to be angry uh, even uh, unto death and then the lord posed again as he does there in verse nine the same question to jonah as he did in earlier in verse four only this time concerning the plant and uh, is it right for you to be angry about the plant in other words does it seem right that you experienced more emotion over the destruction of a plant than you did over the potential destruction of an entire city does that seem right to you jonah does that seem well balanced? Does that seem like your heart is in line with my heart on how to see things proportionally in the world?" Jonah again, just pure uh, e- emotion and, uh, and here. And he's really upset and he says, he is right. And then the Lord said to him, "'You've had pity on the plant for which you have not labored,' again, it's all grow, grace, uh, "'nor made it uh, grow,' it was all grace which came up in a night, and it perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, which, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock." And so uh, he uh, tries to change uh, Jonah here uh, by Uh, speaking to Jonah about his own heart, God's own heart for the lost, even toward the most wicked people uh, in the world. He doesn't threaten Jonah. He doesn't belittle uh, Jonah at all. God, all He does in verses 9 and 10 is He just shares His heart. He just shares His perspective on how He sees the same situation that Jonah sees but is responding to in an entirely uh, different way. And in verse 11, it contains the word that really I think is the number one theme of the book when he talks about pity and uh, speaking of deep compassion and, and, and his pity for a city numbering about 600,000, if we understand the 120,000 persons who can't discern between their right and their left hand, being uh, a young, the number of young, very young children within, uh, within the city. And then you kind of multiply it out in terms of parents and, and, uh, uh, and, and beyond uh, in, in terms of how big the population was. In other words, Jonah, you've been raised under my Scriptures. You possess a godly heritage. These people haven't had that heritage. They lack your moral understanding. Uh, you can't judge them the same way you would judge someone who has come from your godly heritage live and lived a life of wickedness anyway in the face of that kind of life. so It's, it's apples and oranges here, uh, Jonah. And I can see it and you can't see it here. And then God, if He can't get them to feel bad, over the people that would have been destroyed he reminded them of the cattle that lived within the city and if jonah couldn't care about people then god says maybe have some compassion uh, for the cattle and this is where he's willing to go to try and make the point point. and what god is communicating to jonah here is you've shown more uh, greater love for a plant that's here today and gone tomorrow than you have for the eternal souls of 600,000 men, women, and uh, children. And in all of this, Jonah was quenching the joy that heaven was experiencing, that God was experiencing at the repentance of these people. He's on a par with the older brother, the second brother in the parable of the prodigal uh, sons. He's he's doing exactly the same uh, kind of thing. It makes me ask myself here tonight, is there anyone that God could save out of His love tonight that would produce Jonah's reaction in me? Or I would be, I would be grieved that God would show them uh, grace when they deserve so much judgment. I, I can't think... Of, of anyone, but I haven't been the victim of certainly you know, uh, really any crime, but the heinousness of the kind of crimes that a person can commit, commit against another person. So I understand how deep this kind of thing can go. But eternity is a long time, and uh, it's forever, and it's a long time to be judged. And to be able to look as a Christian and say, I am thankful for every person that, that will respond to the grace of God and, and come out from under His, uh, his, his judgment. And, and also so that when a person like that gets saved, you think of the Jeffrey Dahmer who definitely, this is a cannibal. This is a person who killed people in his apartment parted them out and ate their bodies. And he was tormented his whole life. It began with animals when he was a kid. And when he went to prison and exposed to the Gospel there, and he became a Christian, and he loved being in prison because it didn't give him the opportunity to engage in these uh, voices and these tendencies within his life. But he, he changed. He turned around. Son of Sam, same thing. And so many other people that aren't as notorious maybe or as as famous. And we rejoice at the grace of God, being able to reach through into that kind of life. I think in terms of a couple of applications before we close this, here uh, this morning or this evening, uh, we don't want to start the day over again. But surely this book of Jonah is, is written uh, by God in order to remind us as god's people of his love for the lost and it's easy to lose sight of that the book of jonah was not written for the assyrians wasn't written for the pagans it was written as a message to god's people and the tendency in the spiritual blessings that we enjoy to become self-righteous to believe that we're incapable of the evil that the world is doing and then to view them as only worthy of judgment rather than people that God wants to save no matter how deeply they've immersed themselves in wickedness and that's the heart of God and and we're stumbled by it in one measure or another no matter who we are maybe not to the degree of Jonah but it's something that we have to deal with and it reminds us uh, of of the heart of God in, in uh, all of this. And so the great su- uh, subject of the book is not a great fish, but the love of God uh, for the uh, world. And, um, and then I think the book also teaches us uh, the difficulty that the Lord has in finding servants that, who will not only express His message, but deliver His message with His heart. And this is maybe the single great message of the book of Jonah that we want to hold on to for the day in which the Lord has called us to be a witness to Him. It is not enough to merely deliver the message with a wrong heart toward the world the way that Jonah did it. We are to take the message and deliver the message of judgment, of God's forgiveness, uh, of the need of salvation, but to deliver it with the heart of God. And it requires both things. Jonah was a graceless messenger. And as the world becomes more and more wicked and and more and more worthy of God's judgment, it becomes easier and easier to become a graceless messenger uh, of God. But we need to carry the message and we need to represent the heart of God in, in delivering that message. The book also teaches us that no matter how monstrous our past might have been, no matter how great our sins uh, might have been, or how great the sins of anybody in this world, God's grace is, be- is greater than that. He's willing to forgive and, and He's willing to save as He did uh, with, with Nineveh. And it's good to be reminded uh, of that. It's a grave thing in the eyes of the Lord to represent His message uh, accurately to sinners, but then to fail to represent uh, His heart. And so as we look at the world that we're living in, more and more like Nineveh all of the time, and uh, it is those two things that God wants us to be reminded of through the book uh, of Jonah, that no matter how wicked a people becomes, we're to carry the message but we're to carry it with the heart of God for every sinner and the desire to be saved. And that is a good thing so that we don't, as we're waiting for the rapture of the church, while things do get more and more evil, to also be seeking God for a revival to happen in the world. That the world might know what Nineveh uh, knew uh, as, uh, as well. That kind of a hope related to sinners being uh, being lost here. But this tendency to, to build a them versus us mentality because of the good work that God has done in our lives that's been completely a work of grace, but now it becomes a, a means of self-righteousness by which we look at the rest of the world that is no more wicked, at least in their heart, than we were before we became Christians. And so it's a needed message and an important message. And, and I'm glad it's in the book. Let's sing together and we'll close in prayer. Father, there's so much emotion in this book and Jonah. We we are see ourselves in Him, at least in part. We certainly see all of the tendencies in our own heart, um, the things that He's struggled with in his, in his own life. And I thank You and we thank You tonight for this needed reminder in the midst of the world that You have called us to reach out to and to let know about You and Your offer of salvation and Your desire to forgive. And, uh, and, uh, and not to build these walls of them versus us, and us hunkering down in some kind of a way, out of some kind of a self-righteousness. But Lord, we pray that You give us Your heart for the people that we run into. You've got to do it, Lord. It's not in us. So we ask that You would give us Your heart for the lost, no matter how wicked, so that we can then carry the message and then represent Your heart in doing so. And we ask for this, we sincerely ask for You to continue that work of Your Holy Spirit in our lives. Remind us, Father, we pray all of the time of how much grace You have shown us so that we will never ever be threatened Uh, and, and, and think that you should be then stingy with your grace toward anyone else. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for making us the product of your grace. We love you for it, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.